0: Welcome to Madison Church Online. My name is Stephen, lead pastor of Madison Church. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Uh, To get started, I'm I'm hoping to engage you a little bit uh, in the chat room or in the comments, wherever you're watching or listening from. And I'm curious, which social media platforms do you use? Which which of the socials are you on? And so let's get to know each other this way. Um, If you're on Twitter, let us know what your handle is. Again, in the uh, in the chat room. Those of you who are on Facebook, say hello. If you're on Instagram, let us know who you like to follow the most. What videos are queued up the next time you log on? to YouTube. Those who type really fast are a little bit ahead of the game right now or have an advantage. Um, but those of you who aren't as fast, don't worry about it. Uh, just keep letting us know what social media platform you like the most and tell us why. Lots and lots of people are on social media. Uh, 330 million people are on Twitter. 800 million people are on TikTok. 1 billion people are on Instagram, 2.3 billion people are on YouTube, and Facebook is the big winner with 2.5 billion users. That's almost half of the world's population logging on to Facebook. Well, minus one after this week, if you know, you know. Uh, Now, I know that not everyone likes social media. And there are legitimate concerns that come with social media. Things like cyberbullying, identity theft, and uh, other invasions of privacy. And that's just the name a few. There are some real risks behind social media. But I don't believe that social media in and of itself is inherently evil or inherently good. I think that social media is whatever people make it to be. For example, one good thing that came out of social media is that it was the primary way that most people got to connect with their family and friends in the past year or so because of the pandemic. Because of things like Facebook and FaceTime, we were able to see loved ones far away without putting them in any danger of spread of the virus. One not-so-good thing is that we feel a ton of pressure to present ourselves in a certain way to the rest of the world. I don't post a photo of my dog's accident on the living room floor onto my Instagram account. and I'll never Facebook Live a fight that Megan and I are having for your feedback. My YouTube channel isn't full of highlight reels of my boys being mean to each other. I mean, you get it, right? There is this presentation of ourselves that we want to put out there on social media. Now, I'm not suggesting that you start posting stuff like that, your pet's accidents, your fights with your spouse, your kid's bad behavior. I'm not saying that that's the solution, especially if you want to stay married. Don't do that. But what we put out there on social media really is this reflection, albeit a small reflection, of how we feel in person with each other. Like we have to put forth a certain presentation to the rest of the world. And this sort of way of living, it's hurting our relationships. Which brings me uh, to tell you now that we're in the final week of a series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. It's been a Big five part series that we've been doing. And it's an important series because it's about a fundamental need that every single human being in the world has. And that is the need to have relationships. It's the need to be connected with God and with other people. It's this need to know people, and to be known by other people. Every single one of us longs for meaningful relationships. But in our desire, when we pursue that, we've all been hurt. I mean, there's no doubt about it that you've been hurt and I have been hurt. And that hurt sometimes leaves us not just with deep disappointments, but with deep wounds. And that can make us wary of relationships. And being wary of relationships and not having good relational health affects us spiritually because you and I were not just relational, we are also spiritual. And when Jesus was asked the name, what was the most important commandment in the Hebrew Bible? He replied, love God and love each other. For many of us, the greatest barrier to spiritual maturity is relational immaturity. And if you're joining us today for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm so glad that you've joined us for this Sunday. But I also want to encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch the other messages of this series. Because emotionally healthy relationships are so important to you and I thriving in the life that we have been given in each week of this series, we've presented a different life skill, a different relational skill based on Pete Cazero's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And today I want to talk about living your true self. We're going to tie all everything together for this final week of living your true self. And this sounds good. And I imagine that we all want to do that. We all want to live our true self. I don't think anybody's saying, I don't want to live my true self. It sounds good in theory. But it's hard in practice because you have to be brave to some capacity to recognize and to admit that you and I, that we at different times have contributed to the disappointments of our relationships, the letdowns of our relationships. So we have hurt other people, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we have done that. And we've done it, I think a lot of times because we aren't living our true selves. Here's what happens with with so many of us when it comes to our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers. Instead of living our true selves, instead of living who God has made us to be, we end up framing who we are based on what we think other people want us to look like or want us to do or who they want us to be, This happens in all sorts of ways. Some people are very, very quiet because they don't want to offend anybody. So you never know really what they're thinking. Or And perhaps this is you. You never want to say anything because you don't want to offend anybody. But we also know that there are other people who loudly offend everybody, right? And both these people, both these types of people, I imagine that you probably identify with one or the other, we're still kind of letting the world around us dictate who we are. We're kind of letting them pick who we are. And this pressure, I I believe this is a pressure that um, almost every single person feels. And so it, it is this pressure to not be your true self. And it is a pressure. It's real and it's constant. But that does not mean, just because there's pressure does not mean that you don't have a choice. We all have a choice. Paul would write, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. But of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be. I would not be Christ's servant. Paul isn't saying offend people. He's not saying that. He's not saying that we shouldn't um, love other people either. But what Paul is saying is that there is a hierarchy of approval. And he is seeking, first and foremost, God's approval for his life the things he thinks, the things he says, the things he does. He's seeking God's approval. And if in doing that, other people approve of him, great. And if they don't, it's all right. But I think that this warning is relevant to you and I, because in a lot of ways, we're seeking the approval of someone, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, a boss, a friend, a mentor. And we're kind of hoping that in pursuing the approval of them, that we can get the approval of God. But Paul is warning you. He says, if you're seeking the approval of these other people, You are not Christ's servant, so seek to be Christ's servant and to please God, not other people. This is fantastic relationship advice because relationships are at their best when people are free to live their true selves. People and relationships are at their best when we can live as our true selves. Now, when I say living your true self, I'm not um, simply saying just listen to your heart or follow your heart. I, I hear people give that relationship advice a lot. I've received that relationship advice from people who had good intentions to help me, but um, just follow your heart. While it might sound biblical, actually isn't. The prophet Jeremiah said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, you're probably not going to write that into your Mother's Day card today, right? Who knows how wicked the human heart is? That might shock some of you to know that that's in the Bible, that that's in the Old Testament. But there is a truth behind it. It might be shocking, but the truth is, is that doing what feels good right now is terrible unbiblical advice. It's terrible unbiblical advice, What we need to do is go back to what Paul was saying, which was to seek the approval of God, not myself, not to even follow the desires of my heart, but to seek the approval of God and to follow his desires for my life. You see, God has uniquely created you with your own personality, your own thoughts, your own dreams, temperament, feelings, talents, desires, et cetera, et cetera. You get the point. God created you to be one of a kind, but he didn't just create you to be one of a kind. He created me one of a kind. He created everyone watching one of a kind. He created my family and your family one of a kind. He created uh, every person in the world, the people we like and the people we don't like, the people we know, the people we used to know, the people we don't know. He's created every single person uniquely them. And this unique creation, who we are, well, that's our true self. And the challenge is to learn. How to be our true self, which means we have to unlearn the false self. And this cannot be done apart from God. You see, God is our maker. He's our creator. You can think of it this way, that God has the manual for us. God knows how we work best. God knows when something isn't going right, how to fix that better than we do. And so to try to live a full life, a great life, a relationally healthy life apart from God just is not possible. We need to seek his approval. We need to not follow the desires of our own hearts, but his, because he is the owner and he knows how to do that. Jesus was someone who excelled at living in his true self. Um, I mean, just look at how many times, for example, how many times he disappointed people. I mean, that's somebody who really owns himself is, is just how often uh, he disappointed everyone. And I think that sometimes we think that we should make everybody happy, but Jesus never felt that pressure. Jesus never felt the pressure to make his family happy, his disciples happy, his followers happy. He never felt the uh, pressures to make popular people, influential people in his culture happy. Jesus sought off to make one person happy, and that was his heavenly Father. And by looking at Jesus' example, we can see that Jesus shows us the measure of a life well lived is not uh, about Facebook likes, It's not about Instagram followers, and it's not about retweets, but rather it's about obedience to our Father God. We're going to go to Luke chapter four, because there's this fascinating unfolding of a story in Jesus, and he's just getting started in ministry. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to Luke four, and we see that Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and uh, he's standing up in synagogues, and he's teaching, and it's quite profound. People are uh, surprised. And so Luke writes in verse 22, all who were there, the people who were watching Jesus, watching and listening, were surprised at how well he spoke. But they also said, isn't this Joseph's son, the one we've known since he was just a kid? So you have this scene where Jesus is teaching and the profound messages and people are actually blown away. And, and there's kind of maybe some back row cynics, some people who are a little bit skeptical of this Jesus. Isn't this this little Jesus we know? I mean, we know his mom and we and we know his dad and and we remember him growing up, you know, we remember babysitting him and we remember the sleepovers and okay, maybe that's not what they were saying, but you get the gist of it. They're like, we remember this little guy and now he's this man and he's teaching these very profound things. Well, to be human is to see how someone could exploit this. I mean, how many cults have we seen where there's a charismatic leader who has a little bit of influence with a certain amount of people and they exploit them for for greed or for sex or for influence and power? We see that, but Jesus didn't do that because he wasn't interested in getting their approval. He wasn't interested in following selfish desires, but rather seeking the approval of God. He continued to teach and continued to say things. And uh, those things that he said made people... Matt, you see, it became very quickly evident that Jesus wasn't going to be who they wanted him to be. And so just a few verses later, in verse 28, we read, that set everyone off in the meeting place. They were seething with anger. So they threw Jesus out, banishing him from the village. And they took him to a mountain cliff at the edge of the village to throw him to his doom. I mean, to say that this escalated quickly is quite an understatement. On the one hand, they're like, he is a profound teacher, and and I remember him as a little boy. And then in the next, they're so mad that they've driven him outside of the town. They've taken him up to a high cliff to throw him off to his death. I mean, they've, they're going to kill him because they don't like what he said. Now, I've made a lot of people mad in my time. I'm not super old, but uh, it seems like once a week I make people mad with something I post on my Instagram story or on my Facebook post, but nobody has ever kicked me out of the city of Madison and took me up to uh devil's like to throw me off a cliff. Well, not yet anyway. Don't worry about Jesus. We read in verse 30 that he slipped away and he was on his way and he continued to teach. But what got Jesus to this point? I mean, what got him to the point where he's back in Nazareth and he's teaching and it's profound and then he's being almost killed? What happened before this? Well, we go to verse 1. We see that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. Now, you can go back a couple chapters, Luke 1, Luke 2, Luke 3, and you can see that you really have not missed a whole lot of Jesus' life. There's just not a lot there. There's genealogy, his family tree, how he came into the world, and, and we see that he gets baptized. And then it's at that point when Jesus is baptized that most of the gospel writers begin to write about extensively about Jesus' life. It would be fair to say that before Jesus' baptism and going into the wilderness, there just wasn't a whole lot to write about. When we see Jesus, the first thing he does in ministry, the first thing he does before he does the miracles, before he raises people from the dead and he heals people who are sick, before he walks on water, gives other people the ability to walk on water, before he says, throw your nets over one more time and I'll teach you to be fishers. And before he does any of that, Jesus goes to the wilderness and he prays and he fasts to find the father's will for his life. And we see that Jesus does that when he comes back, that he's able to do all of these things. Not because of the selfish desires of his heart, not because he's trying to win the approval of some other people, but because he has the approval of his father and he knows his father's will for his life. And at the end of his life on earth, Jesus is able to say these remarkable words as recorded by John, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Imagine being able to say that at the end of your life. I mean, can you assess your life up to this point? I mean, let's just say in this moment right now, you came face-to-face with God. For whatever reason, right now, you're face-to-face with God. What could you tell him? God, I brought you glory. God, I completed the work that you gave me to do. Or would we say, God, I was about to. God, I was going to. God, I wasn't sure what you wanted me to do. God, I hope I was good. I hope I did all right. You see, we can get so stuck in framing our lives to look how everyone else wants us to look. But at the end of our lives, we come face to face with our father, God, the one who created us, the one whose approval we should be seeking. And none of these other people will be there. I mean, they might be there on the other side, but they're not going to be with you when you have this conversation, when you come to -to face-to-face with your Savior for the first time. They won't be there. And in that moment, what will we say? Well, the good news is that today's probably not your last day on earth, that this isn't it, that in this moment, you're not going to come face-to-face with God. And so there's still time to unlearn and to redo and to walk forward, to draw near to God. And the promise is is that as we draw near to God, He will draw near to us and He will show us how He has uniquely created us to be. Well, practically speaking, what do we need to do? I think the first thing when we're talking about our true self and and seeking the approval of God, I think that we first got to know we have to come to the understanding that God gave us um, a lot of the, the, the good thoughts, the good feelings, the good dreams, the opinions, and, and the values that we hold. He has wired us a particular way, and we need to learn about ourselves, and we need to seek his wisdom in that. I mean, just think about the past few weeks of topics that we've covered in this series. Do we know what our expectations are? That's something we talked about. Do we know what we're feeling? Do we know why we feel the way that we feel? Do you really know what someone else is saying? Were you really listening? Do you know the stuff that's in you, as Jason talked about last week, that causes conflict? I mean, that's a lot of homework on yourself, and that's just one teaching series that we've done here. But don't forget that Jesus spent time with his heavenly Father, and he emerged with great clarity about who he was and what he was called to do. And that is a great example for you and I to follow. Practicing spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible and praying regularly can help show us God's will for our lives so that we can know with certainty who He has made us to be. We need to know, but we also need to speak. It's not just a matter of, I know what I have and, and that's good, but we need to speak truths into our lives. We need to verbally state it out loud. Have you spoken those expectations? Are they agreed upon? Have you spoken out loud how you feel? Have you spoken out loud why you feel the way that you feel? When you're listening to someone else, do you speak back to them to, state, to make sure that you understood them correctly? When you have conflict with someone, do you speak directly to that person about it in a healthy way, or do you gossip and slander? Now, let's just make sure that everybody understands what I'm saying. Speaking your true self here does not mean that you have the right to just express your opinion on every topic and every situation to whoever is listening. There were plenty of times when Jesus chose to be silent, and there are plenty of times when we need to be silent But the strategic part that we need to discern is when do we need to speak up? And some of the things that we've talked about in this series are great examples of times to speak up. Once we know and once we speak, we need to act. We need to act out our true self rather than obsessing what other people think or trying to live up to some kind of image that we think that we need to be. We need to carry out the work that God has called us and wired us to be. He's called us to love him. He's called us to love the people around us, whether we like them or not, wasn't an option, but just to love people. So when we act, when we do the work, we bring God glory. When we seek him out, when we learn to live our true self, it's not just selfish. It's not just about me but it's that I'm able to help other people live their true selves as well. Instead of trying to oppose, impose on my relationships what I want done or make sure that my voice is the loudest voice heard, I can encourage other people to know about themselves, to speak truth into their life and act so that they can live that full life that only God can give them. God gave each and every single one of us a unique life. Let's not waste another day reframing it to be what we think other people want us to be or what we think other people expect us to be. Let's know, speak, and act our true selves under God the way that God made us and let us help other people be and do the same. That is the space where our relationships will thrive. And I believe that when we live like this, that we will get to the end of our lives and we'll be able to look to God and say, God, I've completed the work you gave me to do.